0: Back then when I was young, we used to have the vegetable man come through with veggies early in the morning. Uh, the next thing we would see is a wagon that had big blocks of dry ice. You got me? And mom would give us money, or dad would give us money to go buy blocks of ice. You know what we used to do with that ice, Callie? We used to sit the dry ice.
1: And cut it on. You no made problem. an air conditioner, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Your own AC. That was my air That's how South Carolina Representative Wendell Gilliard describes cooling off during the hot summers in Charleston.
0: When that used to run out, mom would actually you know, gather all of us in a room and we would get to playing and just like children would, act cut the food. And then you'd hear mom tell us to be quiet. Next thing you know, she'd run up the steps. She said, Look, time for a nap. Y'all need to keep still and pray to God for a cool breeze. Mm. Day after day, we would hear that.
1: Project Cool Breeze would eventually become the name of the District 111 representatives' signature program. He and his staff give free air conditioners to senior citizens, people who are disabled or experiencing an extreme financial hardship. Representative Gilliard says remembering his humble upbringing keeps him focused on helping people who are underserved. We started our conversation with his memories of three tragedies in the month of June in his hometown, the port city of Charleston.
0: number nine keeps showing up, whether it's the Rodeo chemical plant, uh, as you well know, back in June 17, 1991. And of course, we had the uh, firemen in June, and that number nine, we lost nine lives. And of course, the Mother Manual tragedy. Uh, you know, and I've lost friends in, you know, in all those tragedies. So uh, the month of June is, is like me and many others. It's it's really heavy on us, but when you look at the Mother Emanuel tragedy, you have to wonder, uh, and especially if you are, uh, you know, if you are a lawmaker, you have to wonder, you know, have we really made any progress? And I would have to be honest with you, you know, my first concern would definitely be no, okay, and I based that on the fact that. When you look at South Carolina, we have hate groups on the rise. Uh, You know, hate crimes are on the
1: rise in South Carolina. Uh, And when you make a commitment uh, like me and my team did, because no man or no woman is an island, you know, I work with a a group of people that I consider fantastic, Uh, you know, we tried to make a difference by introducing the hate crime bill. As you well know, it passed the House, and that was a, a big move, historic move upon itself, uh, because you're talking about 124 members, including me. Okay? And believe me, if, if it were not for bipartisan support, uh, we, we I don't think that bill would ever be made out of the House. Carolyn, it made what we call the calendar for the Senate. We got it approved
0: in the House. It went to the Senate it passed the senate subcommittee and then it was due to be heard on the floor of the senate uh and and time ran out but it made the calendar and when i say that what i'm saying is the the bill still has a heartbeat because the senate would now have to take it up in january so what we decided to do uh is to mount a campaign from now until january to get everybody Encourage them to call their state senators and encourage them to thank the ones who did vote for it. uh, And you try to bring aboard the ones who did not vote for it because we need their vote. Their votes are very pivotal. Uh, You know, once we can get it past the Senate and send it to the governor's desk to be signed off. uh, And I've had the question put to me, well, what if the governor doesn't sign off? Well, you got to remember uh, it, then it would take two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the, of the Senate to override uh, anything uh, that the governor might veto. So that's where the bill is now. When I think about the tragedy of Mother Manual, some, some of the people who actually died were dealing with uh, being gentrified out of the city of Charleston, out of the city of North Charleston. They were dealing with things such as crime and drugs in our communities. But unfortunately, they didn't live to continue the good fight. So now that baton, in a sense, has been passed uh, on. And when I say pass on, I'm talking about so all the younger people, the middle-aged people, the older people, to step up and step out. Okay? I'm proud of the young people, what they're doing now. Okay? For the most part, what they're doing is great. I've I, I never thought I would live to see a... Uh, Of course, you and I remember the Black Panthers, uh, but here we are now with Black Lives Matter. You know, I think it's a strong movement. I think it's a good thing for our society. And they have made some
1: progress. I want to go back just a little bit and just focus on the hate crimes legislation. You have spent a lot of time speaking with other lawmakers about this. And I'm wondering, those lawmakers who are in opposition of moving forward, what have they expressed to you as the reason they don't see this as a, a valid or valuable piece of legislation?
0: Well, the bottom line, Carolyn, most, for the most part, the, the people on, on the uh, right, and believe me, has some people on the left also, Democrats and Republicans, the, their concerns is the fact that when you present change, uh, some people just won't accept change.
1: Okay, until they see the majority of the people rise for change.
0: Okay, they, you know, you get the concerns like, okay, Wendell, uh, tell me what good is a hate crime bill is going to do in South Carolina? Well, if they hadn't done the research, look what the other states do, because now we're just two states. Uh, We're down to two states that don't have it, Uh, including South Carolina, don't have a hate crime law. When, I, when we first started, me and my team first started with this endeavor, it was five states that didn't have it. And I believe it's just South Carolina and Wyoming.
1: Before you began a life in, in public service as an elected official, you worked as a union president. Tell me a little about that work.
0: And if I had to do it all over again, Carolyn, trust me, I would. I was on the move to become a full-time union organizer, okay? But when I got accepted to be one, I was a part-time organizer for almost 12, 15 years, okay? And a union president president here at Local 863 63 United Steel Workers of America. Uh, long story short, when I got, when I submitted to become a full-time organizer, now I was going to travel the world instead of the country, uh, they had a massive layoff, not only in the United Steel Workers of America, but all the other uh, national unions too, under the AFL-CIO. Okay? So, when that layoff took place, they called me back and said, look, we got to put you on hold. You're not going to get this full-time job, as we promised. So that had a change of heart in my life. So I said, well, I'll take my experience to run for, po- you yeah, know, I'll get involved in politics.
1: Who influenced you to go into public service?
0: That came from my older brother, Leroy Gilliard, and my, and my other brother Maurice Gilliard. Because uh, my father would always tell you Maurice was supposed to be the politician. Uh, he's a Vietnam vet, uh, and I was supposed to be a preacher. Daddy used to always say that. So coming up in that coming up in that era, uh, having been raised up around the corner from the late, great Septima P. Clark, uh, who used to always have Ralph Abernathy, uh, the King family around her house. And I used to be green under the shoulders out in the backyard, raking her backyard, eating off her table. And I would see all these people wondering why uh, Chief Conroy back then was blocking her block off so people, all these dignitaries could enter her house. I I was fortunate to be raised up around people like meeting jesse jackson or you know the martin luther king uh the third and that and that's why it inspired me to name the spring street cannon street corridor which we mean Quadro campbell we brought a million plus uh dollars back then because everybody always said "Well, that's just symbolic no it's always about economics too we brought a million and a half dollars funded for those corridors to bring it up to par but gentrification took hold okay and we started fighting that so i was fortunate enough to be raised around people who was in the movement uh and i'm proud of that uh mr bennett the union man uh isaiah bennett uh jim french all these other people out there i was always active i worked on the, the late great tobias ganson campaign and he won it and i was in 10th grade I worked on the late, great uh, Peyton. You remember Peyton? He got assassinated on Spring Street. Okay, I worked on his campaign when he ran for office. And it, it was just, I was just fortunate enough to be brought up around. Even Senator Ford. I mean, you know, these Senator Ford, uh, of course, you know, I tried to get his name on that bridge out there. They, and, and they told me a part uh, in the local newspaper here. that thought I was crazy uh, for trying to do that because I knew that it was Arthur Ravenel that stood in the middle of that bridge when we did the ribbon cutting because I was on city council. He told the story about how Senator Ford was pivotal in getting over $800 million uh, from the feds because they needed that vote. Maggie Glover, he told uh, Arthur Ravenel told the story. Senator Ford went and got that vote. And because of that, that bridge is up there to I had a, I had a, a premonition in the sense that, look, this bridge needs Robert Ford's name on it to tell the story. And don't you know, they wore me out left and right for even coming up with that idea. And I have facts to prove that. And I, I don't mind, look, my point is, once again, when you're doing things that are right, after you prayed about it, and people try to insult you, the more insults I get, the more, boredom, the more motivated I am.
1: What motivated you to run for South Carolina House of Representatives?
0: My lofty ambition always was to be a congressman in the 6th Congressional District. Okay, once I spent 10 years city council level, many of my supporters met with me, and they encouraged me to go ahead and seek higher office. So I settled for the state office, I, I actually went to Councilman Robert Mitchell's house because he was next in line to run in that district, District 111. Okay, and I spoke with him, and I told him, I said, "Look, I know that rumors have it you're going to run uh, for the state office. I'm not going to run for the congressional district again. But if you, if you're not going to run for the state office," I would like to have that opportunity. And Robin Mitchell looked at me in his living room. He said, Wendell, you go ahead and do it. And I did it. Okay? We did it. My team did it. Okay? And that's how it all started, Carolyn. And I've met dignitaries along the way, presidents, governors. Uh, It encouraged me to start my own consulting business, uh, which I'm very proud
1: of to this day. So I'm glad you asked that question. Representative Gilliard, the past year and a half has certainly been difficult for everyone. We are all affected by the pandemic.
0: Well, if you go online uh, on YouTube, thank you, Mr. Speaker. When I first brought uh, the pandemic awareness to the state level, coronavirus. Did you know they called me crazy? Did you? Did you they, they wanted to know was I smoking something? And you could see that speech online where the speaker called me up. And I presented, it was, and I I remember the month I did it in, okay? I did it in late February, and I told the General Assembly about this pandemic. But I'm here today to tell you, one thing I did know in my research about this since it did start it, that I feel that the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. We better, we better uh, put this in a precautionary mode, and I even wrote the governor, and I told him, I told him that Donald Trump knew about this almost three years earlier, three months earlier, I'm sorry, three months earlier, but he's not doing anything about it, and now people are dying. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Gayard.
1: We've always faced challenges in South Carolina. Can you talk about what some of the biggest challenges South Carolinians face, you believe?
0: Uh, When you look at affordable housing, homelessness, uh, when you look at racism,
1: uh, I would have to choose those three. History is being made as a black woman has announced that she's running for governor of South Carolina. How significant is this for this state? I'm
0: proud that she is. Uh, I serve uh, terms with Mia, uh, and I tell people right off, uh, you know, I, I like Joe Cunningham. I supported him uh, for Congress. I, I made no bones about that, because I feel that when you have two qualified people running, okay, people have a right to choose who to support who not to support, as long as the candidates that you're supporting.
1: South Carolina State Representative Wendell Gilliard, thank you so much for spending this time speaking with me and telling me more about your childhood and your aspirations. I really appreciate it.
0: I really appreciate you. Okay. Uh, You're a coward. You're one of
1: a kind. You're doing a great job. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by David Dixon and Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye. Until the next time.